podcast for December 29th, 2014. So glad to be here with you guys, my good friends, Chuck Monster. Hi, Chuck. Hi. Hi. And of course, Dr. Dave Schwartz. How are you, Dave? Hey there. Um, great to talk to you guys. Uh, we did actually have an episode in the feed last week that was a sort of special episode where we had uh, Andrew, who is a now 10-year-long-serving Las Vegas cab cabbie, um, in to talk about Uber. And um, so we talked to her about an hour. Um, Andrew is not an Uber fan and spent some time uh, pointing out and educating us on some of the issues in the way that they operate. So um, I really found it very interesting. Um, got a lot of different feedback, definitely some comments on the website, people... Um, felt like uh, maybe he's a little one-sided and got some comments on Twitter saying how people thought it was really interesting and fascinating. So, you know, I guess a mixed bag. Um, I think it, they're both true, Hunter. It was it was one-sided and fascinating. Yeah, so I thought it was great, and I'm glad that we put it out there. I would recommend people go listen to it if they're interested. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that was uh, that was a sort of special episode, a little Christmas gift. For all you folks, or Hanukkah gift, if that's your thing, or Kwanzaa. If, I don't know if, if there are gifts at Kwanzaa, but there you go. Yes. Um, holiday gift, I guess, all-encompassing. And, um, yeah, so, but now we're here. We're back. We're here to do a sort of more traditional episode where we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's been in the news lately. lately. And there's definitely been quite a bit. Um, plus, uh, you know, maybe quickly recap some of the stuff that happened in 2014 and then maybe look forward a little bit and talk about stuff that we think might happen in 2015. So that is a lot of ground to cover. So without further delay, we'll get into it. But first, real quickly, want to uh, remind folks that um, the Trippies, which is Vegas Tripping's annual awards reader poll thing, mm-hmm. um, the votes are in, so it's too late for you to submit your vote for this year, but... My, my little birdie has told me that there may be um, a results announcement show coming uh, maybe second week of January. Is that right, Chuck? Yeah, we're shooting for uh, January 10th, but I reserve the uh, the right to do it the weekend after because I've been procrastinating with too much eggnog. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So. As soon as I get the work done, we'll be ready to go. But it's going to be one of those two weekends, the 10th or the 17th. Watch VT for the details, and it will be announced shortly. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So that will be fun, always a good time, and so that will be forthcoming shortly. All right, that's all we got for announcements today. Um, but we're going to jump right into some topics, and we're going to start off with uh, the bankruptcy of our good friends at Caesars. <laughs> Um, so this has sort of been a long previewed. We've been talking about Caesars and their crushing thirty billion original debt load since the pro- company went private um, years ago. And it's uh, you know we uh, we've we've had a lot to say about it over the various months um, as the company uh, did all kinds of creative things to try and stay afloat. But it it appears now that. They've reached the end of at least one of their ropes and uh, have accepted the inevitability of a prepackaged bankruptcy. So basically what this means is um, Caesars – well, so what this means – ah, it's complicated. Um, if you go and look at, uh, the, at Caesars' corporate structure, Caesars is not one thing anymore. Um, they've split themselves up into a variety of different companies over the years in an effort to sort of move move assets over here and move some debt over here and get some private get some uh, public investment in this entity and move some of this other stuff over here. So, what we're going to see here with this prepackaged bankruptcy is uh, Caesar's Entertainment Operating Corporation, which is the company that um, I. Th- it's it's the company that has their prime like their biggest brands plus also the total reward system but not all their not all their casino properties but um, the big the biggies uh, it's their sort of 
the biggest uh, encumbered entity is going to go through this prepackaged bankruptcy process as long as uh, they can get, I believe it's at least 60% of the creditors to okay the plan. And there was a note today saying that 39% have signed on so far. So they have until I think the middle of January, around uh, Trippy's time, to, uh, to get this all wrapped up. Um, and so that would allow them to basically shed uh, billions of dollars of debt. I mean, they're talking about taking SEOC down from, I think, uh, gosh, now I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, something like $18.4 billion in debt to 18, sorry, to 8.6. So it's like almost $10 billion in debt that would um, disappear in this uh, transaction. And in addition, they would split that company again. It's like mitosis over there. It's like the, the <laughs> companies are splitting every time we every time we look. They split the company in two into a, a management company a, and a, um, a real estate company. So they'd, they'd create a real estate investment trust that would own the, the, uh, the land and the buildings. And then they would have a management company that would run it. And those would be linked through all kinds of complex arrangements. Um, but, uh, you know, interesting that we finally got this far. Somebody was asking the other day, sort of, what does this mean? Where does the debt go? And, you know, frankly, it, the people, the debt holders are going to be getting a nice tax deduction. Um, it doesn't magically evaporate, right? I mean, someone is taking a haircut here. And oftentimes the, uh, the debt holders basically say, well, we have two choices. We can work with you to try and do this and realize we're not going to get all of our investment back and we'll take a loss. Or we can sort of roll the dice and see what happens. We might get nothing. So oftentimes it's in their interest to sort of negotiate these things and um, try and get at least something for their money instead of potentially getting nothing. But um, can anybody say they're, they're surprised by this? Uh, this seems like it, like it uh, was inevitable. Um, so I guess, Dave, I'll start with you on that one. I mean, is this a surprise to anyone? It definitely made a lot of news, right? This, there was a big headline when this was announced, and there have been subsequent stories over the past few days. But is this really a surprise? I don't think it's a surprise. I think everybody knew that they had an unsustainable capital structure. That's hardly a secret. And earnings certainly weren't improving in leaps and bounds that would change the situation. So, yeah, no, this is this is absolutely not a surprise. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately, well, there's, a, I guess, several questions that you could ask, right? There's, um, is this sort of the last shoe to drop? Does this put the company... <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll have you answer this in a minute, but does this put the company on a sustainable footing once this is complete, or uh, is does this not go far enough, and are they still potentially in trouble? Chuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Is is this the last shoe to drop? I don't think so. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, I stare, <laughs> I'm bewildered, and I'm flummoxed. I've stared at the filings and the transaction structure and stuff for so long that I can't even think, but I, I see this as more of a buying of more time than than anything else. I don't think this is going to be a uh, a sustainable situation. They've, they've split the CEOC into a real estate investment trust with two portions, the operating company and the property company property company holds the real estate the operating company holds the uh the property that's on top of it the stuff the casino whatever it may be and if caesar's doesn't pay the rent to the prop prop co basically the the lenders uh who are going to be holders in the prop co are allowed to foreclose on them now, it's going to buy them some time, but there's probably going to be some – they're going to figure – They've spl- also, they've split the, the, the prop co from Caesar's Palace as one entity and then 42 other properties, which are not in Las Vegas, as the other properties. Because I believe that Rio, Harrah's, Flamingo, Paris, Bally's – uh, what else am I missing? And Planet Hollywood are held by the CAC, the Caesars Acquisition Company. I think so. Again, this gets really complicated. So Planet yeah. Hollywood is definitely owned now by that's yeah that's CAC. But then there's CERP, which is like and I, it's it's yes they're all split yeah. up into all these different categories now. It's very complicated. 
there's a there's a if you look at the oh shit I won't even mention it but I'll tweet out a picture of it there's a it was a hearing in March where Caesars rolled up unbundled and then rolled and rebundled everything back up okay. of all of the corporations and how they all put them all together it's very fascinating and it's enough to make your head explode also but the Quad Cromwell Planet Hollywood our mm, CAC okay. which was just repurchased back by Caesars. So that whole thing where they said that they were where the uh they they the uh jilted investor said that Caesars was hiding assets, they basically bought it back to get that question out of the way. And then they're with the with the real estate investment trusts, they're giving the possibility if they blow it some more that the investors will get a piece, basically get to control the show. So I, I don't see how this is going to be sustainable. Do you think Caesars is going to keep paying this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think the key is what their financials are going to look like out of the gate. I mean, they're making – it's not like these places don't make money, right? They do make money. It's just that the money that they make is not enough to cover this insane amount of debt that they had to cover, right? But now they're they're figured out a way to – to eliminate, you know, they sold themselves a couple of uh, folding tables, and they came up with a ten billion dollar price tag, and yeah. it's all and all that money's gone. So, will their, you know, new debt at, you know, a fraction of what it was, will it be, will it be something that they can handle? I mean, obviously, I'd rather pay interest on eight billion and not eighteen. Yeah, the CPLV portion of the Propco has to pay $160 million a year in rent. That's how much the Caesars property is going to pay. The Opco is going to pay the Propco $160 million. And then the other properties, it's about a half a billion dollars a year, a little less than a half a billion dollars a year in rent. A year. Yes. But, uh, you know... That seems like a, a deal at twice the price. No, I'm sort of being, I'm sort of joking around <laughs> now. But I, I, I have to think that um, you know they they know what their financial picture looks like today, and they know what their projections look like. I, you know, you can sort of look at this a couple different ways, right? You could look at it as this is the absolute best deal they could get, and they're hoping that it works out. Or you could look at it like they actually got a, a good deal that they're very confident is going to be sustainable for at least the near term. And, you know, I guess we don't know uh, what to see how it works out. But I think, you know, one of the really interesting pieces of this is, uh, is you know, the management situation. I mean, they're at least at the very top of the company, um, Gary Loveman is retaining his, his position, at least for now. Um, and he's survived throughout all of this entire tumultuous period, which is, is which I think is interesting. You would think, you know, he's he's the mathematical genius, right? So I would figure that the Apollo folks would want to have the guy who's the mathematical genius, whether or not he drove the truck off the cliff, which he didn't. Obviously, Apollo did, but they're going to want to have the guy who knows how to slice and dice and finance this stuff in the seat. So it's not really Loveman's fault per se. He's been doing exactly what Apollo's been been angling for, it seems like, since this whole since it the LBO. Yeah. I think that's fair. I you know, uh, despite being a fairly uninspiring leader, um it it is hard to sort of peg this on him and I guess if you know, we've we've made a lot of fun of sort of the crazy maneuvers they've gone through to try and keep things going. But uh, if some of those things had worked and they hadn't had gotten here, maybe they got a little bit luckier than they had. You know, maybe people, people were looking at him like a genius. So you know, yeah. a lot of this stuff is out of his control. Um, there was another question that I think uh, may have been the five hundites were asking on their show, talking about total rewards. So total rewards, of course, is part of this, but they. They were sort of posing the question of like, well, if things really go sour, like what happens to all of your total rewards points? And so I was like, yeah, well, that's an interesting question. Why don't I go read the total rewards agreement that you sign when you sign up? Um, and, you know, it really – it's real simple. In, in legal terms, it seems like it's relatively straightforward. The agreement for total rewards says very clearly that the points have no cash value. So you're not as – a, as a total rewards cardholder with – a zillion points in your account. It's not like they technically owe you any money. Um, so I have a feeling that in the list of people that were putting their hand out, if the ship was really going down, you would be pretty far towards the end. 
um, if you would even be, even be able to put it out at all. But realistically speaking, Total Rewards is A, a huge asset, and B, uh, screwing over all of their cardholders would be like yep. suicide. So it, they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that none of this stuff is disrupted to their customers, and that would be a pretty huge disruption. So I wouldn't be too worried as a total rewards card holder. I mean, I've definitely seen people that are saying they should go and cash out their points and et cetera. And I guess, you know, whatever you feel like you need to do, I, w- I would be more worried about them continuing to cut back on total rewards services just to try and save money overall than I would be about them uh, calling me up and telling me that we're stealing all your points because we feel like it. No, they'll never, they'll never cut the points. They'll just make, so the points buy less. Really, yeah. the value of the points is going to go down. As long as there's two points left at the end of the day when they close, a mama point and a papa point, <laughs> then then the the company will survive. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, agree. I I think that the even if they redeemed everything for the most expensive thing you possibly could, the cost of that pales so much in comparison with what they owe. You know, but it's. Interesting thing to try to think of. What is the total balance of total rewards points? Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be fascinating? You know, how many active card holders do they have? I don't think it's 40 million, which they, they say there's 40 million names in the database. I'm kind of skeptical that that's how many active people they have. I so, you know, how many active skeptical. people are they? What is their average? So how many points are there? Yeah, I know. It's a great question. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, that's tightly held super secret confidential info. Yeah, um, it would be amazing to get some of those stats. Uh, If there's one thing that you know bankruptcies and other legal proceedings are good for, it's getting access to all kinds of information that you ordinarily wouldn't get. Um, So, uh, as far as the Caesars thing go, I think I'll ask the question that I've asked. I know I've asked before, but does this impact customers? Um, I mean, ultimately, the person that you know is going to Caesars Palace. Um, is this something that they're even going to notice? Are they? Does that should anybody that doesn't, you know, watch this stuff closely even care? Chuck. Well, uh, I don't think. I think they've probably done most of their cutting by now. But I'm sure they're going to find some ways to cut costs, either by uh, employee count, head count, um, services, things around the edge, cost savings through uh, supply chain optimization, other bits and pieces like that. So. It's possible you might see some minor change in the in the services of Caesars, but that will all be uh, pretty much within the curve of of the property status. You'll see less of it at the top, but they might find the big expensive things to get rid of too, though. So, Dave, do you agree? Yeah, I do. I don't think I probably not the best thing if you're an employee hoping for more middle management positions or things like that but i think the customers don't have too much to worry about because there's not really much more they can cut that the customers would see i don't think yeah uh, i mean of course you know the concern would a reasonable concern would be uh you know reinvestment or capital expenditures in the properties i know that the uh, agreement does require at least some amount of capital expenditure. I think 175 million across all the different properties. So, you know that could be split in many different ways. But they, people want to make sure the carpet's not fraying and the the light in their the desk lamp in their hotel has a light bulb in it. But um, other than stuff like that, it's I think uh, I would be surprised if you as a customer would would be able to tell one way or the other. I guess you could make the argument if they hadn't done this and things had gotten even worse, and maybe that would be more likely to be able to tell. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe the buffet buffet price is going to go up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't well, really resort, yeah, the resort fees already got uh, ratcheted up. So yeah, we yeah. did see that, right? That seems like uh, they sort of harmonized their resort fees at a, a level that was, you know, higher in most cases um, for most of those places. So. You know, be the, curious uh, to see. I'm sorry, Hunter. Go, go ahead. It'd be curious to see the try and do a measurement of the scale of what they're paying headliners at Caesar's Palace, because you might see, uh, like, compare share to Bet Midler to whoever it is that they just hired. You know, because they might try and cut the money in that way too. So paying less for higher end headliners saves them money. 
Yeah. Who is it? Who do they have? Who they just get? Rascal Flats? Is that who it was? Or is that? Uh, Brooks and Dunn Brooks and, and uh, uh, oh, Reba McIntyre. Hard Rock, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, Brooks and Dunn. I didn't realize that it's popular, but can they really cost as much as like Elton John? I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Or Madonna, but, or whoever else they might have gotten. So yeah. So who knows? Maybe I'll discover someone will write to me and tell me that Brooks and Dunn get paid like a hundred million dollars a year, and I'm just like completely. <laughs> Befuddled. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hey, wait! Uh, I've got a I've got oh. a scenario here. Yes. What if they had Octavius Tower? Sign them to be the. Remember them? Oh <laughs> yes, <laughs> Octavius Tower. <laughs> right. Kill two birds with one stone. There. Yeah, you could sort of <laughs> come up with some kind of cross licensing agreement or something. Yeah. Maybe get him for free. I don't know. Great band. Wow. Great Blast band. from the past. There. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, on that note, I feel like we should move on. Uh, thank you, Caesars. We'll be watching closely. Um, now on to so I looking at the sort of rundown here. There's not a lot of like really great news, some interesting stories. But the next one um, was definitely fireworks, which was um, Sam Nazarian of uh, SBE and sort of of SLS fame um, at the uh, well going through his uh, licensing. So. He uh, spent some time with the uh, Gaming Control Board uh, a few weeks back, and um, they were skeptical about uh, about granting him a license. There was um, a lot of interesting stuff uncovered uh, through the licensing hearing, including um, some re- relatively recent drug use and a fairly bizarre-sounding sort of extortion-slash-payoff-the-grifter kind of weird situation going on. Um, that really made regulators pretty nervous, and um, so their recommendation to the Gaming Commission was a one-year restricted license. Um, that followed with Nazarian basically saying he was going to uh, step aside or step away, or I can't remember the exact terms he used, from, from SLS and go sort of figure out what he wanted to do in life. Um <laughs> Uh, put that aside, and and, and then the the uh, the gaming commission, um, I you know, I, Dave, you, you could give some good perspective here on how often the control board and the commission differ. But the commission hearing, it became clear very quickly that they might not give him a license at all. That they were very worried and um, were pretty freaked out by some of the stuff that had come up in the investigation, and eventually they did end up granting uh, a very restricted one-year license, um, very heavily restricted. So uh, I guess I'll just ask that, Dave. Do you have any sense of how often the control board comes in with a recommendation and the commission decides to go a different way? I know that it's happened. I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head when it has happened, but I'm pretty sure it's happened in the past, but I can't specifically remember anything. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they're not always necessarily of one mind, but this is a situation where they seem pretty worried. I mean, the control board was obviously worried, but uh, the gaming commission seemed very worried about what could potentially happen here. I mean, they were really tough on him in both hearings, but um, it definitely sort of mid midway through, I think it was you could you know play some odds on uh, him getting his license, and it didn't look super great. Uh, yeah, you know, for the for the commission and for the board, I think it all comes down to they're going to do what's best for business and what's best for the state of Nevada, which is two things at the same time. Number one, it's attracting more development, more capital, which Sam Nazarian has done. Number two, it's avoiding any kind of potential embarrassment for the industry. And certainly any headline anywhere in the world saying Las Vegas casino owner in the same – sentence as some kind of grifter character is going to be on the negative side of the balance sheet and anything involving Las Vegas casino owner, blah, 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 illegal drugs is going to be the negative side of that balance sheet. So I think they weigh both of those things. Yeah. You know, and, and to just ratchet up the drama even more, the grifter dude that was, uh, that was the huge topic in the control board hearing tried to come to the gaming commission hearing to speak and was arrested outside for writing bad checks. Like he, he had some warrants, I guess, and was arrested. I mean, it's just the story couldn't get any crazier. Um, uh, so I, I, Dave and then Chuck. So Dave, I want to ask you, uh, can you remember in recent history or any any history, I guess, other than like 
Rosenthal, like the drama like this in hearings, like I mean, these hearings are usually pretty by the book. Um, can you recall any drama to this extent that we've uh, that we've witnessed in these kinds of hearings? And then, Chuck, I want to get your take on this whole thing because um, I well, I just I want to hear what you have to say. So, Dave, and then Chuck. I think the closest that I can recall is Tim Poster's hearing, right. which also didn't really go that well for him so probably that you know although you're right usually these tend to be pretty standard i don't want to i don't want to say pro forma but there's usually not too many questions asked that everyone in the room already doesn't know the answer to so i think that's what made this one a little bit different right i think that's an excellent point usually by the time you land there everybody pretty much already knows how it's going to go and so it's pretty rare when something sort of pops up so chuck thoughts on this nazarian licensing situation Wow. It was, uh, I tell you, talk about a, a page turner. Uh, it was uh, fascinating to see this happening. You know, I've always been, I've had a little bit of a distrust for Sam. He always seemed like more of a PR guy than, uh, than really having the, you know, it's just a feeling in my gut. There's no, there's no evidence except for one short story, which I will share. I was at the Sahara. This is probably... Ugh, Fontainebleau was still under construction, and I was up on the top of the parking garage with my friend, and we were taking photos. We both had cameras. We were taking photos of the back of the thing, and up pulls on the top, the roof of, of the garage. This is after SBE bought the place. A long stretch limousine and another black car, and I see a couple of guys getting out of the car, this is on the top of the top level of the parking garage. There's no other cars up there except for us and this car. And I see a couple of guys get out of each car and they start having a very heated discussion. And then a trunk opens on the limo. And some guys grab a bag from that and hand it to some other guys. And they just keep having this discussion and it's a little heated, not super heated. And, you know, I, I can't say with certainty if it was, if Sam was one of those guys, but there was some kind of, this was a meeting place, obviously, for some kind of strange uh, clandestine shit to happen. Maybe this was one of these mysterious cash transactions. I certainly hope I saw it. But, you know, the fact that this whole thing has happened this way, the, 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 the snort and blow in Cabo with his buddies, like, while you're in the middle of this licensing, like, yeah. I'm not even that stupid. If I was going to get a, a license, I wouldn't do that. You know, how, how it just it, it proved that he was thought thoughtless. Like you could just like this is L.A. You can just buy your way out, and everything's good if if everything's okay. But it doesn't work like that here. You know, there's scrutiny. There's things you have to do. They're going to go through your past. They're going to go through your checking account, your bank account, all your stuff to find out who you are, who you deal with, and all the business you do. And the fact that it took Sam, what, eight years from the time that they bought the property to finally show up, and a lot of this stuff, the Suge Knight stuff and the grifter and the drugs, happened after that. Right. He could have got his license way back when, you know, and not had to deal with Navagante and all the other nonsense. He could have gotten his license way back then and then made these mistakes, and nobody would have known. They're not drug testing him now. Right. So he knew he was in this business, and he made these mistakes. It's like, and the fact that the 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 gaming control board said that they basically called him out, saying you left, you delayed this meeting for like PR purposes because the property was opening. You know, they basically called him a PR guy. The the fact that he was doing drugs with his buddies in Cabo when he in was, April. I, it's that is, I mean, as you said that. It shows a very a shocking sort of lack of judgment, right? Like I don't care if you go do drugs, but if no. you think if you think that you're going to get a gaming license in Nevada and you're currently being investigated and you think you can get away with that, then like yikes! Either you don't take this, the process very seriously, or you somehow think you're above the law. And I guess this time it caught up with him. Or it doesn't say a lot for his friends either. No, yeah. it does not. Sort of like, hey, yeah, let's get you involved in this action here when you have a lot to lose. So yeah. a one-time, a one-time indiscretion. He described it as. It's like that's preposterous. He's what thirty-five years old. 
Older than that, it, I think. But okay, yeah, so forty maybe. But yeah, forty or close to. It's 40 a youthful years old. indiscretion. Come on. Yeah, it's a youth. I just did it once. <laughs> you know that's nonsense. It's nonsense. <sighs> I don't buy it. But I was surprised you know, that 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 he even went to the second hearing. I imagine it's probably already scheduled. So if you go to one, you have to go to the other one. But the sense that I got from the statement was that Stockbridge pulled the plug on Sam, not that he stepped away. Yeah. Well, you sort of you always have to read between the lines, right? And it's. Uh, they are looking at a huge investment that they need to make pay off, and this had disaster written all over it. And I, you know, I fortunately he didn't. Well, at least as far as we can tell, didn't really fight them on that, right? But it seems pretty clear that it was in their financial interest to sort of make him disappear. I have a question for Dave. Sure. Because I know you know the details of this. If he was denied, then what happens? Oh, boy. Um, actually, I don't think I do know those details that well, but it definitely wouldn't be good. You know, usually they have people withdraw before they get denied, because once you get denied, out and out denied, that has a lot of negative connotations. Right. So I would have been very surprised if that had happened. And I'm not totally surprised that, you know, basically what they did here it kind of is if you look at it through the prism of these are people looking at it for what's best for the state it's hard to argue that they got it wrong because they the guy who got the financing got his license but they put very strict conditions on it if he does anything that would basically embarrass them he loses a license and they've sort of done their due diligence here and said okay we suspect this guy has these problems we put these conditions in the license to address that and if it goes badly, it's his doing. You know, right. he kind of, which is interesting. It's kind of a, it's almost like a strategy that I use in the classroom with students <laughs> who have problems and stuff. Like, okay, I'm okay. You didn't do your essay. Get it done by the due date. So I'm gonna let you do it with X Y Z conditions. My conscience is clear that I gave you a second chance, and if you mess it up, that's all on you, and you have every, you know exactly what the rules are, exactly what you need to do at this point. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it kind of strikes me as the same sort of thing. Well, you look at you look at it's not Nevada, but look at New Jersey and MGM, right? I mean, right. this process has been reversed, but this basically what happened to them, right? They the state basically yanked their license. And they were, I mean, they didn't actually have to sell the property, but it was put into trust and it almost sold and it would have. I mean, they wouldn't, they, at some point they clearly realized that they were probably going to try and get back in the game. And so they they uh, were able to hold out until they were able to reverse it. But yeah, I mean, they would have been, SBE would have, I'm sure, have been forced to divest itself of its of its ownership percentage one way or another, whether it went through some kind of provisional trust kind of period or whether it was immediate. I mean, it would be, and I can't imagine that, uh, you know, if you are forced to sell an asset by a government entity, that it, that the price is the price you want to get if you're selling it under normal conditions. All right. Yeah, I'm not really sure what would have happened. You know, it might have just been his 10% would have been placed in escrow. I don't really know. Right. It definitely wouldn't have been a, been a good thing. So I think, you know, the best news for Nazarian and SBA would have been an unconditional license. The worst news would have been the an absolute denial of the license. And right. this is somewhere in the middle. And again, it's a chance. It's a very, it's a very, it's also a very Nevada thing where Las Vegas is so big on second chances, and they everybody gets a second chance here. So I think that's kind of what it's about too. It's like, hey, maybe the guy made some mistakes. We're going to give him another chance, and if he plays by the rules, then that's good. It'll be interesting to see what happens next, right? So as you said, (laughs) they've pretty clearly laid out what the conditions are. Um, They are within his power to adhere to. So they're not unreasonable conditions, at least as far as I can tell. Um, He could choose to to sort of perform and... um, and uh, make it all work. Well, will he, I guess, is the question. I mean, I think you would think, well, man, there's so much money at stake. He'd be an idiot not to. But again, it goes back to the beginning of this conversation and uh, the kinds of things that you uh, that you start to do when you know you're being scrutinized. I mean, it makes you sort of question someone's judgment. But again, this may have been a pretty, uh, he seemed somewhat rattled. So this may have been a serious come to Jesus moment. I don't know. <laughs> now, if he comes back, because he said he's not going to have anything to do with the property. Did they change that? Did, he, did they withdraw that statement? And if he does come back, would they have to make a statement saying he is coming back? Or does it not matter? 
It's a good question. I, as far as I can tell, sort of the his whole like I'm stepping away thing wasn't wasn't uh, ha- what didn't have to do with sort of the 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 eventual license as it turned out, but it was more like the business arrangement with his partners and um, <laughs> I, he he did get his highly uh, conditionalized license, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they didn't deny him. He 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 gets the benefits of that as well as the the conditions associated with it, right? So, here's another question: If he was denied, what would have happened to Hyde and hmm. Dub- Double Barrel? You got to think that MGM would cut him loose. And actually, this goes to the Light Group thing that I want to talk about in a minute. Because if you mm-hmm. Look at the undercurrents there. It sounds like there's a lot more going on. So we'll get to that story in just a second. But you got to think that MGM, even if they didn't have to, they would cut ties. And I mean, I'm sure that they're. I, well, I would be shocked if their agreements with him for those for those venues don't have clauses that for exactly this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, their gaming license is like one of the most important assets they have, and they they cannot have anything that. Uh, put them right. in jeopardy. So I'm sure that they have escape clauses in there for this sort of thing. Um, so that is a perfect segue. So uh, I was going to talk about Atlantic City next. We will get to that in a minute. But I want to first talk about nightclubs in Las Vegas real quickly, Hakkasan and the Light Group. So we got news uh, over the past couple of weeks that um, the Hakkasan folks who have been taking Las Vegas by storm with their club at MGM um, uh, are uh, acquiring... The Light Group. So the Light Group sold most of their uh, most of their equity to Morgan's Hotel Group, right? Uh, a couple yep. years ago, um, Hakkasan is now going to be taking that over and buying that business, which includes a bunch of nightclubs and restaurants uh, throughout the Las Vegas Strip, mostly MGM joints, I think, if not entirely. So the reason I mentioned this a minute ago is because while it's not substantiated in any sort of acknowledged fact, the sort of undercurrent of the story is interesting, right? There were allegations that Light Group uh, management um, were doing all kinds of shady stuff uh, months back, maybe a year or so ago, uh, involving sexual harassment and some other really nasty, uh, if true, allegations. Um, The sort of rumor on the street is that, you know, MGM basically (laughs) decided that they couldn't have these guys uh, on their tab anymore as it goes. And um, this, this sort of uh, merger was engineered to uh, get everybody out of uh, get everybody whole and save face before the whole thing imploded. So I don't know if that's true, hmm. but it is an interesting um, adjunct to this. MGM deciding that Light Group are shady and don't want to do business with them anymore, and then finding a way to sort of engineer this whole thing before the shit really hit the fan. It, it will be interesting to see uh, with those uh, uh, allegations if you know I believe they're actually like there's a lawsuit, right? So that will continue. If that turns into something more material, it'll be interesting to look backwards and see if maybe there was a, a stronger connection here than is just a rumor, than more than just a rumor. Um, do you guys care about nightclubs and the fact that they're all basically run by one company now? And is it interesting that Hakkasan like came out of nowhere to totally, totally conquer this entire business? I mean, it's it's crazy, right? These guys were like a couple years ago; they were unheard of. It's fascinating, you know, uh, under five years ago, it was basically pure management and light group were the head-to-head battle. Right. And Morgan bought light, what was that, four years ago, three years ago, for $47 million, about. And Hakkasan bought it from Morgan's for $36 million. Right. You know, that's a big discount. Yep. You know, over 10 years. So that might – I wonder – I'd like to look at the details of the financials of that thing because there might be some hidden clauses in there to, to do that. Is it is it possible that, that you know, Morgan, since they kind of screwed the pooch in their financials, that they took a big write-down on this? Or is somebody subsidizing it or were they just so squeezed – well, like you say, with the MGM, that they had to unload it at whatever price, Hakkasan yeah. would say. And wouldn't that be antitrust? Well, I, that's an int- that last question is interesting. Uh, I, if those rumors are true, and uh, you know, M- MGM was forced with – didn't want the light group people around anymore, uh, but wanted – but the places to make money and wanted to – didn't want to disrupt their own business, um, you could easily imagine them sort of forcing a marriage here. I mean, you could – 
they have a lot of leverage, right? If, if that is indeed what happened and we don't know. Um, so they would have had a lot of leverage to sort of make this work. And Hakkasan is clearly, you know, from what we can tell, their partnership with MGM seems pretty tight, right? I mean, they've been talking about building hotel towers and stuff, which, which, which was, if you recall, of course, that was the, uh, the uh, prize that they were previously going to give to the light group, which <laughs> we talk right. about the Harmon, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's I, you know, it's hard to know uh, what's what here because um, we don't have a lot of, a lot of, factual details, but uh, it seems like there's at least some potential smoke here. Yeah, Hakkasan rolled into town, right, with the, the plan to build anything, and within a year, less than a year, th- well, the Hakkasan was managed by Angel Management Group. So once that thing started to roll, Hakkasan earlier this year, was it January? They, they bought... They bought Angel Management Group. Basically, it was like a personnel acquisition, and they got all the clubs, too. Who bought Pure? So the whole thing really has rolled. The whole tree has rolled up into the star, the one Hakkasan star. Who else operates now in terms of nightclubs? You got Victor Dre and SBE. SBE and Tau. Tau Group. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And then Wynn obviously does his own stuff. Right. And the, uh, the marquee guys. Right. Who's next? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely been a lot of consolidation. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see. Um, I don't know, nightlife has become such a huge driver money-wise. It's definitely an important business, even as someone that doesn't care about clubs at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a lot of money flowing through these places for sure. So it's it's interesting to see this all roll up. Yeah. This is like the Mandalay Resort Group, MGM, that whole series of, of mergers here, but in the uh-huh. nightclub sector. I'm expecting a press release saying that Hakkasan has bought MGM. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, well, I don't know. Give them a, a decade or so to, to grow their balance sheet, and then you never know. Yeah. Um, all right. So we still have a couple things I really definitely want to get to, uh, and we're already going a, a little bit long, so let's try and crank through some of this stuff. Um, MGM... Resorts International and our good friends at Perini, the building company that constructed City Center, have settled their lawsuits over the Harmon. So, of course, the Harmon, uh, the unopened piece of City Center Hotel that originally was uh, supposed to be super tall and then got cut down to kneecap height and then never opened at all um, due to uh, structural defects in the building, um, has been the subject of litigation for years. They're actually tearing the thing apart as we speak. Um, but we got an announcement through an SEC filing uh, a couple weeks ago that this uh, litigation has been settled. Um, this is another one of those uh, complicated fingers pointing in every direction in terms of who's paying what, especially <laughs> since MGM owns half of City Center. Um, there's basically money flowing in every direction, but if you sort of do the math, uh, MGM really didn't pay very much to get this done, if at all. They may have. It, they, it sounds like, uh, you know, the. The well, I'm not going to try and unravel all this stuff here because it does go in, in a def- bunch of different questions. But Harmon pays City Center 195 million, which 20 million of which is from MGM, and they own half of City Center, and so like it gets really complicated. But yeah. ultimately, um, it's interesting to see this all get completely unraveled. I remember uh, talking with some folks when this started, and they were saying this is going to be over in six months, um, and it's been years now, right? So. Uh, this actually finally releases all the liens against the property, so a bunch of people are getting paid um, that have been sort of held up. And I don't know if that includes a lot of small subcontractors or not, but that's not uncommon uh, for some of these places. I remember the Venetian folks, a lot of their smaller subcontractors, subcontractors especially took years to get paid because of all of the litigation that came out of the end of the Venetian construction. So hopefully this means that a bunch of small businesses in Las Vegas are getting, are getting their checks this week, um, just in time for Christmas. Businesses that aren't law firms. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much there is to say here. This seems unremarkable, but it is, uh, it is um, the end of the Harmon story as far as we can tell. Um, let's see. I would like to quickly touch on Atlantic City because we've had doom and gloom and maybe there's a little bit silver lining this time around. Um, so two points I have here on my list. First is the Taj Mahal. Um, I think when we last spoke, we were pretty worried that it was going to, uh, going to close. 
Um, but as of now, it looks like uh, things are things are looking better. Um, Carl Icahn has pledged uh, enough funding to keep the place open. I think um, his financing offer goes through the end of next year. So, Dave, Taj Mahal, is it going to stay open? Are you are you thrilled that uh, it has a second chance, or a third chance, or a fifth chance? Oh, I'm very happy that it's staying open. I'm yeah. very happy, and I I don't know all the financing stuff, but it's it's just good that they're finding a way to keep it open, and I hope they can start to turn that city around. I agree. I, this was a nice surprise. Everyone, well, maybe not everyone, but it seemed like things were going in the wrong direction, and then um, Icon kind of comes in and and uh, and buys some goodwill here. I think um, you know I'm sure that goes a long way with not just the employees but the people that live in the city. So. Um, hopefully this will all work out, and uh, it was nice to to see that it's not going to end up closing, at least not today. Um, the other big story in AC, of course, is Revel. Uh, the previous buyer, the whole thing uh, exploded, which we talked about, um, and now we have the uh, original folks back, the Glenn Straub folks, who are trying to haggle on the price. But just yesterday-ish, uh, a couple days ago, I noticed... Um, our good friend Roger Gross from Global Gaming Business Magazine was talking about a, a potential uh, another bidder that is willing to pay even more and wants to finish the property. So a bunch of different changes that they, he was talking about in this in this rumor. Um, not only this this mysterious bidder paying about one hundred and ten million dollars, which is uh, is more than what the Straub offer is, but also you know finishing the hotel rooms and and fixing some of the issues like having the uh, the elevators actually stop in the casino. Um, <laughs> so this would be pretty pretty amazing if this went through. I don't he hasn't said uh, who this may be, but um, that would be uh, a nice uh, end cap on this story, right? If we got someone that um, wanted to come in and really do it right, so that would be great. Great outcome for Revel, hopefully. Fingers crossed. John Unwin. Yeah, there you go. John Unwin is now out of a job as the Cosmopolitan has been sold. Um, okay, so in the time that we have left, I would like to quickly talk about uh, 2014 in a macro sense and also a little bit about 2015. So I, I would love to hear from you, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of putting you guys on the spot, uh, so I'll give you a second to think about it. But in your each from each of you, sort of what you think the top, Las Vegas, or I guess you can say gaming story was in 2014. And I'm looking at my list of some of the stuff we have here. Um, Jackie Gone, of, of course, we lost him this year. Uh, Cromwell opened. Um, of course, Vegas Shipping turned 10, which is probably by far the most important story. <laughs> uh, our good friend Dan Lee was had a short tenure at the Plams, yeah. um, which didn't work out. Uh, Cosmopolitan sold. We just talked about that a minute ago, but that's been that sale is finalized, and that means new management. So Bill Macbeth from the Aria is going to be running the place. Um, of course, four casinos did close in Atlantic City uh, in 2014. So, or I guess they was it all in 2014. Anyway, there have been definitely closures there. Um, Las Vegas or LVH, excuse me, uh, sold and is now the Westgate. Um, the uh, uh, <clears throat> Delano opened a very important story there. Um, new Frontier land sold to uh, our new friends that are, that are building building there. Um, the aforementioned SLS opened finally in 2014. Um, we had a fantastic Vegas Internet Mafia family picnic, mm-hmm. and towards the end of the year, we've seen more and more stories about declining revenues in Macau, which don't seem to be letting up anytime soon. Um, any, I will, uh, and and uh, this is only a small sampling. So um, I'm going to put you guys on the spot here. So feel free to jump out with anything. Chuck, do you have a biggest, most important, favorite story? It can be any of the above. You know, I, I can't help but but say that the uh, the SLS story this year, with all of its twists and turns, has been the gift that keeps on giving. You know, between the opening and. Getting it all done? Are they going to get it done? They do get it done, and then Rob Oslin splitting, and uh, this whole stuff with Sam and the problems they're having with the property post opening has just been wow. It's like Aria opened all over again, but with a whole layer of drama and intrigue and cross property uh, whatever troubles. But that that is probably my number one. Uh, I'd say. 
the Packer-Pascal thing is close behind it. That really makes me excited. We know nothing about it, but uh, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about what those guys are going to build. Yeah, I didn't put Resorts World on my list here, but of course, something we're paying attention to pretty closely as well. Yes. Um, Dave, uh, what's any any stories stick out for you in 2014? I think really it was about adjusting to the post-gambling-centric age okay. of Las Vegas. I think that's the, the thing that stuck out most for me is that most of the big developments weren't really about gambling. It was about live entertainment like the whatever I always mess in the rock and Rio in uh-huh. Las Vegas thing, which I, well, I don't even know what that's called rock, <laughs> like Vegas rock city or something like that. It's come to mind. So that the, obviously the big arena behind, you know, that's part yep. of the park development link. Right. I think all that stuff is non gaming and that's really what it, the story is going to be. Unless you see some huge transformation in the U S economy. I just think the gambling money isn't what it used to be for Las Vegas. So that's what we're seeing. That's what they're investing in because that's where the money is. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. Um, I didn't put the link on here, but of course it is an important piece. And, you know, just this week we're seeing some of the park stuff open with uh, Shake Shack and uh, that stuff starting to come together. Um, Be curious to see if we get even more of that. That arena is definitely going to be a huge centerpiece of that whole component. I think for me, I have to agree with Chuck. I was going to say the SLS stuff because it's been a, a roller coaster um, starting you know, years back with uh, Sahara closing and a lot of crazy sounding schemes that um, ended up in a property that actually opened, which seemed like at that point um, it was time for a victory lap for those folks. And then this whole other chapter in the drama with Oslin leaving and, and then the licensing situation, it's been a pretty crazy story. Um, and so it's hard not to look at that and just say, wow. Um, the thing that I have the biggest question mark next to is the situation in Macau and what's that, what that is going to mean long term, if anything. Um, you know, these, the, the, the market in Macau has saved a lot of these Las Vegas casino companies financially as the United States has been weaker. And um, if this is more than a blip, then that could have some repercussions, especially with all this new capacity that's coming online in Kotai over the next few years. You know, they're they're not spending four billion dollars on Wind Palace because they uh, you know want to want to get uh, a pat on the back. They're hoping to make a shit ton of money with it. And um, if the government in China continues uh, with these crackdowns and some of the other things that they've been doing, uh, that might be tougher than the projections when. Uh, the places were designed. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that continues to play out over 2015 and into 2016, or whether or not that's uh, just a temporary thing. I think some of the crackdown stuff might be uh, cleaning house before phase two really cooks into gear. You know, basically get some of this, the trouble money and the trouble people out before all these second tier properties or the second level or third level, I guess, properties come online. Yeah, it's possible. It's and it, it, time will tell, right? It's it's hard to hard to know if this is uh, if this is happening right now. I mean, of course, the Chinese government has control here, right? They can turn these knobs any direction that they want, and if um, they are, if some of these actions do cause uh, trouble that they didn't intend, then they have the ability to to tweak it in the other direction too, at least to some degree. So uh, it's not. A situation totally outside of their control, which makes it even more interesting from a sort of economic management perspective. Um, okay, 2015, right around the corner. As we're recording this, it's the 29th of December. Um, you know, we I, we are definitely going to, I hope, see some interesting stuff happening in 15. Though I think some of the big projects that we're all looking forward to are going to be a little bit further out. Um, we will see uh, more of the park, MGM's uh, open-air walkway thing opening up in 2015. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to see Resorts World really start coming out of the ground, and uh, we'll see some cranes on the strip again building something, which would be awesome. Um, I expect we're going to see a bunch of smaller renovation projects. I know that uh, we've seen rumors and hints of some of that stuff popping up already. Um, but what are you guys excited about when it comes to 2015 in in gaming news around the world? Um, Dave, I'm going to start with you this time. 
I think it'll be interesting to see if Las Vegas can continue to do well despite more proliferation of gaming. I think that's going to be key for the city. I think also Macau is going to be a big story. How are they, whether that does well or not, how's that going to impact the companies here? And I think it's also going to be a lot about how do these projects go? Uh, How does link do how does the park do once that gets up and up and running and if it does well we're probably going to see even more expansion even though it doesn't look like there's any room left between the thing in front of Bally's and the thing in front of treasure island you know we could see even more expansion and i think that's really the way things run in cycles the, the, the other question is as we talked about before it's going to happen in nightlife and is this consolidation going to have any impact and is going to create any openings for another group to come in yeah, it's a good question, especially with nightlife being such an important uh, part of the financial picture these days. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's too lucrative for people to ignore it. So, Charles, 2015, what makes you excited? Oh boy, you know what really makes me excited is uh, filings and road shows for the EB five program. Ha. I think that's and uh, it's a joke, but I'm being serious. This is pretty much what I think a good deal of 2015 for the projects, the big projects that we're interested in, I think that's what's going to be going on. That's what's going on with uh, Resorts World and Golden Dragon. They're out looking for money to finish their, their properties. It's the William Widener joint. Yep, right. Um, and I imagine... You know, it's possible that the Pascal Packer New Frontier thing, they might do a little bit of that too, because if it's money that's hanging off the tree, then might as well just pick it. So I'm really looking forward to some renderings and to see cranes coming and construction. That's what makes me, that gets me off, and that's what I want to see. I want to walk in a brand new casino smell. Yes, exactly. And so yeah. I, I don't think we'll get to do that in 2015, but at least we can think about it. Yeah. Um, so it seems like you know, fifteen may be a sort of transitionary year. Is that a word? Transitionary, transition, in yeah. yeah. transitioning year. Um, in some respects, as far as there's a lot of promise, and hopefully some of these people can deliver. Um, it'll be interesting to see if SLS how it does in 2015. Um, from what we hear, it sounds like it's been a little bit of a rough start, but uh, we'll see if they're able to uh, get things going and um, make it all work. Uh, one final question before we go into our outro, which is Fontainebleau. Uh, December 31st, 2015, is that structure still standing? Dave? Yeah, just because it hasn't come down yet, so I don't know what would change to make it come down. Fair I enough. wish it would, but I don't, you know, I don't see... Now, if SLS had been a huge smashing success and revealed like, oh my God, there is so much demand for room product at that end of the strip, and if Resorts World had done some kind of fast track construction and was getting underway, then yeah, you could see, okay, the time is right, and Icon's going to pull the trigger and sell the property to somebody else who's going to redevelop it. But with none of that happening, there's re- I don't really see why Icon would sell it or why he would make any changes because he hasn't made them already. Fair enough. Chuck, do you agree? Uh, It's still going to be standing. The property is increasing in value just by sitting there dormant. Uh, As more stuff happens in the neighborhood, even if SLS doesn't whoop ass, uh, it makes the property more valuable. So once Resorts World comes and the Packer Pesco project comes and Golden Dragon and whatever other hot rod stuff they do up there at the corner with the rock and roll and the Rio – uh, it's going to make the property gain value, become more attractive, and somebody's going to want to do something at some point. So Carl's the smart investor. He bought low, and he's just going to sit it, sit on it. Yeah. And some some other sucker will buy it when it's time, and he'll make money. So, so is 2015 the year that Derek Stevens will announce his takeover of the Riviera and its transformation into the Vegas Tripping Resort World and Casino? <laughs> <laughs> Doubtful. Maybe. Okay. I don't think I don't think that's what it will be called, but uh, but anything's possible. Well, I, I I will admit that we have talked about a Vegas Internet Mafia licensing deal for a new casino. So you could imagine <laughs> a Vimp themed casino; it would be yeah. pretty amazing. It'd be great. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't pass the drug test. <laughs> I'll just say that outright. <laughs> what are they testing for? <laughs> if it's just coke, then I'm safe. <laughs> 
Good deal. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> I don't know how else we could end better. So uh, we will end on that note. Um, and what I would like to do now is talk about our sure bets. So sure bets are our opportunity to share with you the audience recommendations about something we think you all might like in the world. Um, they can be casino related, but they certainly don't have to be. So. Given that introduction, um, Dave, do you have something for us today? Sure, I do. It's something that probably a lot of people have heard about, but and I'd heard about before, but I just started really using it. Tension builds, and it is uh, Khan Academy, uh, which yes. is an online learning thing. Uh, my six-year-old daughter's teacher said, hey, maybe she could use it to brush up on her math. So she started using it. So I was her coach. And then it said, hey, model good behavior by signing on and doing some stuff. So I decided to start at the beginning. I'm about halfway through fifth grade math, which is a lot harder than I remembered it being in some, some ways. So I'm hopeful that Eventually, I'll work my way all the way up to pre-calculus. But it's really cool and just uh, very challenging in a lot yeah. of ways and a lot of fun. It is cool. Um, I am familiar with it, and uh, you know, it's one of those really neat resources that uh, I'm glad that is, exists in the world. So, yeah, good, it's, good pick. It's great, and the guy is a great teacher, uh, Salman Khan. He's just does a fantastic job of explaining these concepts in these short little videos, and you can test yourself and get badges and stuff. So it's 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 really cool. Excellent, excellent. Um, Charles, what about you? Uh, I am unprepared, but I, I think I have one, uh, and I can't remember, unfortunately, there's a book, I think it's, it's called, uh, this is a really ringing endorsement because I can't remember the name of the book, right? So what happens here, it's the story of the Caesars, uh, marketing campaigns, how they, uh, how they do the total rewards and the numbers and information harvesting and all this stuff. It's, uh, it's, I'm only about a third of the way through it and, uh, it's pretty fascinating listening to how they they organize all this stuff so i'll find out the name of the book i can't remember it's got it's got an orange cover what stays in vegas my wife tells me <laughs> okay. what stays in vegas is what the book is called it's uh, it's basically all about uh, information harvesting it's pretty fascinating stuff excellent excellent okay good that sounds cool i was not familiar with that book i'll have to check it out um for my own recommendation i am going to recommend um Bond 50. So James Bond is turning 50, I think, this year. And in celebration of said event, you can, this week at least, buy all 23 Bond movies for $99 on iTunes, which I did earlier this week. So if you're a Bond fan and want to uh, expand your collection, this is probably the best deal you're going to get on the full set uh, that I could imagine. So if you love James Bond, you can go to iTunes. I don't know if it's also available through other means like Google Play or whatever. Um, but uh, I do know it's on iTunes. So if you're a Bond fan, you can go out and get all the movies for a great deal and enjoy them. Mm. Um, so there not, you go. Not including Spectre. Not including Spectre, unfortunately. you got to wait for that. So you got to wait another year. Um, can I oh, ask a Bond-related question? Sure. Do you guys have a favorite Bond? Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. I we yes 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 okay yes do you want would to you tell would you tell <laughs> I'd love to hear what both of both of you who your favorite Bond is I it's funny I've been having this conversation since we've been talking about James Bond here in this <laughs> since I got the movies uh, Sean Connery is of course my favorite Bond he is the best James Bond um, but I will <laughs> say that um, Daniel Craig is actually pretty damn good uh, and George Lazenby can suck it. <laughs> Dave, do you have a favorite Bond? Daniel Craig is pretty cool, so I'll go with him just to be slightly contrarian. There you go. Although, well, of course, Connery is iconic, so you can't go against him. Yeah. Well, I'm going to solve it, and I'm going to say that Daniel Craig is the best Bond. He's pretty darn good, so yeah, I think he's great. I'll, I'll give him a good, solid vote as well. Um, for, oh, for the, I guess just to tack this on, people that are Bond fans that haven't seen it, there's a great documentary called Everything or Nothing, which is about the making of the James Bond series, which has got a really interesting background and story, a lot of drama uh, that I wasn't aware of throughout all of the years. Um, so if you are a Bond fan or I guess just a movie fan, Everything or Nothing is a great documentary about the making of the series. So there you go. Um, okay, that's it. Don't forget to rate our show on iTunes. It helps other people find us, which we like. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can also comment on the show. You can go to VegasGangPodcast.com and leave a comment there, or you can reach us on Twitter at VegasGang is the Twitter handle. That's it for today. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I'm going to go around my table one more time so you guys can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave Schwartz, if people want to track you down, where will they go? Uh, they can go to ggschwartz.com. Excellent, excellent. And Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at vegastripping.com. You can find me on Twitter at Hunter if you'd like to. Um, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.